The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with our co-host, Reverend Michelle Jelinch. Today, we share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your addiction recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And please be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. So please let us know what's on your mind. We would love to hear from you. Today's show is titled A Way Out. Many of us in active addiction were not looking for a way out of our way of living. But then things got really bad and we became willing to find a new path forward. We moved from complacently accepting our addiction to actively seeking to move beyond it. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on forging a new path forward with hope commitment and focus. So we'll begin today by sharing our experiences of that complacency and then we'll move into the solution which is hope, commitment and focus. After the break we'll share exactly how that hope, commitment and focus helped us to move from complacency to a new life. So Dan start us off today and share with us what that complacency was like or has been like on your recovery path? Man, I, I feel like it just feels like this is going to be the same for all of us because the first thing that comes to mind, and see if, you know, listeners, see if this is not uh, how it was for you. I, I don't know. I'll deal with it later. That's, <laughs> right. that's what it's all about. I will deal with this later. You know, any time where I began to get any sort of inkling, and, you know, uh, we are the last ones to know. Um, that we have a problem. Right. Um, I said in a, a meeting once early on, and, and the whole room busted out laughing when I said, my drinking got so bad, even I knew that something was going on here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad it got. It showed up in, in my, uh, on, inside my thick skull. But I'll deal with it later. I mean, that, that's the c- complacency, uh, you know, which I'm taking to mean I'm just going to let it be. It'll be fine. I'm not going to do anything about it now. I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to let her. I'm going to ignore it, kind of, is what that means, I think. I'll yeah. deal with it later. 
So that's right. my short answer. Yeah, gosh. Um, I mean, nobody wants to give up their addiction when it's still sort of fun. <laughs> and, you know, of course, there it was fun in, until it wasn't. Or it was fun, you know, it was fun except for the times that it very much wasn't. <laughs> So I, I, you know, I do remember that not wanting to uh, deal with it or think about it or let that all deal with it later kind of thing. For me, what really took me to my bottom, because as you know, I got sober very, very young and I didn't have, you know, really the time to get into too, too much trouble uh, with the actual substance itself. But it was the whole rest of my life that was... Um, so problematic. Uh, it wasn't just the drinking, it was just my chaotic uh, relationships and, you know, behaviors and things like that, that were really, those are the things that were really giving me um, the problem, the problems and the, the pain and the suffering was really coming. And of course, the alcohol went along with that. But it was much more about the two things intertwined. And so, yeah, you know, I didn't even know where to begin. It wasn't so much complacency as I just, I didn't know where to even begin. And, you know, like so many folks say, we we come into the program to quit the immediate addiction that's causing us the problem. But what we find is that the addiction is only one piece of the puzzle, right? The whole thing is a total teardown. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing needs to be completely overhauled. So, um yeah, that's that's what comes to my mind. You know what you just said reminded me of that uh, saying I've heard all all that I need to change is everything. Yeah, exactly. But let me begin with putting the drink down. Yeah. Yeah, complacency. I was just realizing that for me it was sort of a resigned acceptance. Like, oh well, you know this this just how I am right now. This just how it is. Um, you know, a, another thing that's coming up would I would put under the heading of denial, right? Yeah. Denial is a huge part of active addiction, denying that there's a problem, denying that it's having an impact on our own selves, our own life, on those around us. And one way that I could do that is by telling myself, hey, it's not that bad. You know, and these were times if I noticed, like if I noticed like, dang, you know, I do kind of drink a lot. Eh, <laughs> it's not that bad. You know, that the denial showed up in the in the form of that phrase. And that, you know, that is another way, you know, we're full of tactics for accomplishing the goal of I'll deal with it later. You know, let me just somehow put this out of my mind so I don't have to think about it, let alone actually consider stopping. I mean, there there were times now and again when I did stop for a while and, you know, that whole that whole path of um, modifying my drinking to try and keep it regulated, you know, it's like, oh, uh, I, I'm definitely, I'm drinking too much because I'm drinking liquor, right? That's too easy. So let me switch to wine and then <laughs> now, then everything will be fine. How did that work for you, Dan? <laughs> yeah, it worked real good because I can drink a lot of wine. Yeah. And then I don't even like wine. And then uh, I would switch to beer for the same reason. But but trust me, you know, the, there is no, when I'm committed to something, I will find a way to get that 12-pack inside my stomach. No, you know how it is. So, yeah. you know, how, what was, that's what complacency looked like. You know, accepting my addiction, meh, it's not that bad. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, and I was thinking that when we're in that place, when we're still in that active addiction, we're really sort of in a, 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 a sort of survival mode, right? Like we're just trying to get through each day. And the idea of, you know, making large scale change is just, it's not within the scope of what we can even think about, you know, we're just, we're just doing what we're doing. We're just trying to get to the, you know, get through each day. Um, we're in that survival mode. That's why we often have to hit a real bottom, like a real bottom before we are shaken out of that complacency. And uh, that's why that bottom that we, we talk about a lot in recovery is so powerful because that's when we're just done. You know, we just cannot go on that way anymore. And that's usually what it takes before we can start to make change, you know, and my bottom was an emotional bottom. It wasn't a bottom with alcohol so much as it was an emotional bottom. It was a bottoming out of toxic relationships and all the behaviors that are, you know, involved with that, including drinking on top of it, all of it mixed together. And that was what really brought me to my knees. And, um, you know, just getting in so much emotional pain that I just could not, I was finally willing to do something to change. And that's what got me out of the complacency. But up until I hit that emotional bottom, you know, it's like, I didn't know any other way to live. I was just doing what I knew to do, you know, and and like I said in the last part, you know, it, it was going to require a total overhaul. It wasn't just some small change I was going to be able to make, you know. That's right. I'll just wear a different shirt and everything yeah. will be fine. <laughs> uh, another way that I was complacent in accepting my addiction was that I would tell myself, you know, so moving on from, eh, it's not that bad. Well, guess what? Sometimes it was really bad. And so what I could do then is tell myself that those really bad, those truly bad times, uh, those were exceptions, right? That That's just something that, that's just sort of a one-time thing. You know, that's not going to, that doesn't happen every day. Yeah. You know, if I get super drunk or I get sick or whatever, you know, really go overboard or cause a problem or drop a couch on a car or something <laughs> like that which I remember totally sharing about. Totally normal daily event. <laughs> I know, but, you know, that's, that's an exception, though, that, you know, that it's okay. That's not how I am all the time. I mean, if I ran around dropping couches on cars all day, every day, well, then maybe I'll have a, I have a problem, right? But that only happened once, so that's an exception, so I'm cool. So you can, you can follow that train of alcoholic logic that leads me to saying that, um, eh, these bad times, that's, that's not that that's that's not how it always that's not how my life is right that's just something that happened one time so i'm good yeah yeah oh my gosh that it's not that bad you know we have such a high threshold for pain as addicts i mean we can really tolerate a whole lot of chaos and emotional pain and just it's really quite incredible and i can still be like that my ability to tolerate chaos and pain is really quite high. It can still happen in certain areas of my life where things have to get pretty bad before that complacency is, you know, shaken. Um, I refer to these things that happen in life as spiritual two by fours. It's when like 
spirit is trying to get your attention and you're just, nope, this is still working for me. It's not that bad. Here I go. I'm just trucking <laughs> along. And I don't know. I don't know that God works like this exactly, but in my sense of humor, God just goes, okay, here we go. You know, two by four is coming at you, you know, and you just got to get hit by something just that brings you to your knees. It's no fun being on your knees, but actually those moments of surrender and, and being on my knees in life have been the most powerful, uh, pivotal moments of change in my life because they were the moments where that complacency was blown out and just, I could not, I couldn't deny what was happening. I couldn't, um, I could not go on that way for another minute, whether it was in a relationship or using alcohol or whatever, whatever it was, there was that that moment of just like getting smacked over the head with it. And for this alcoholic and this addict with an extremely high threshold for emotional pain, that's what it took for me. Yeah. I, I know the feeling as you share all that, uh, it, it definitely took uh, one of those, what I now see as a spiritual two by four getting knocked upside the head so to speak and thank god for metaphorically those. right you know i know right i wouldn't have it any other way <laughs> so here here but here's the classic to me the classic excuse it, this time it'll be different mm -hmm. anytime i'm saying to myself this time it'll be different now that's a big red flag yeah. it's like well why does it need to be different this time is there a problem here? Well, guess what? If I'm running around thinking man. this time it'll be different, I guarantee you there's a problem yeah. here that I need it to be different. Yeah. And that's sort of the great lie of addiction is yeah. this time it'll be different. And so but I we definitely believe it, though. We believe it when we're saying well, I, that. I totally believed it. Right. <laughs> we can it's not a lie if I believe today. that it's true. Right? <laughs> All right. So now that we know about this uh, complacency, what maybe is the solution to all of this? Well, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. Yes, and sometimes these principles, ironically, can be found right in front of us, hidden in plain view, so to speak, even in the most mundane or cliche of concepts. And today, that's where we find the principles that can lead us out of complacency and into a new life. Specifically, we're thinking of hope, commitment, and focus, which are totally boring, right? But quite powerful if we're open to them, and that's what we want to focus on today. But those three things, I mean, hope, commitment, and focus, that sounds like some kind of Rah, rah, motivational poster hanging up in the break room at work, right? And I'm, if I look at that stuff like, really, really, this is the solution? And what I want to say is, yes, it is. And hang in there with us to see how that could be. So, oh my gosh, Michelle, yeah. those three things, yeah, just on their own, not, not how did they uh, help us out. We'll get to that. But hope, when you, when you hear the words hope and commitment – um, and focus, what comes to mind? What are the spiritual principles under those words? Well, I'm still thinking about that motivational poster that you would see in the <laughs> office, and there would have to be a guy sitting on the edge of an outcropping with his feet dangling, right? Looking out yeah. over this vast, you know, valley or something. Yeah, I hope I actually was speaking 
sort of on hope this past Sunday from the pulpit and hope really is a spiritual concept and it's a complicated concept because um, it can get sort of Pollyanna-ish like okay everything's gonna be fine or you know just sort of um, and I talked about this on Sunday like what I sometimes call toxic positivity which is when we layer that positivity over reality you know so that we're not not uh, not allowing ourselves or other people to experience the very real things that are painful and difficult in life. Um, so it's not that kind of thing, but hope really is, uh, I believe it, it comes from within us. It's something that, you know, that saying hope springs eternal. Mm -hmm. It really does. It, it's, it's, it's a spiritual, um, a spiritual element, so to speak, that is within us because it just keeps springing up out of nowhere. And, and I believe that it's part of the force of life on our planet. You know, I, you know, I love the metaphor of the little seedling pushing up through the soil and reaching for the light. And it's like, we can explain scientifically how a seedling you know, pops out of a seed and how it grows, but we can't explain why we can't explain what that motivating factor is that causes that hope to just keep springing eternally and eternally in, in all living beings uh, throughout, you know, life on this planet. Just that thing that keeps pushing us forward, that thing that keeps saying this time it could be better, you know, it really could be better, not in a toxic way, but in a, in a real way. I think that it's, um, it's what makes us human. And it can get buried, it can get very hard to find, but it is, I believe, is within all of us, that, that light of hope, that, that force of life, that God particle or that God thing within us that is just part of who we are. You know, what comes to mind when I think about hope is this idea, and I, I don't know where I heard this, but wherever I heard it, I definitely latched on to it. And this has been one of the real gifts of recovery for me is being able to affirm uh, honestly that I know that my best days are ahead of me. Yeah, That's what hope is to me. My best yeah. days are ahead of me. Why? Because I'm on an intentional spiritual growth and recovery path yeah. and it can be no other way. Right. right. That doesn't mean, of course, I'm going to have hard times. I hope so, because that's that's another name for learning and growing. Right. Is having a going through a difficult patch, if you will, hopefully. And I'm not just revisiting the same difficult patch. But if I am, well, sometimes you, know, you are. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I am. <laughs> always a new opportunity to uh, revisit it in a different way. So in that way, it's sort of like faith. You know, it's not exactly the same as faith. Yeah. It's almost like hope is what I have because I have faith or, yes. or my faith allows me to walk through my life with a general sense of hope. And, and of course I'm, um, uh, I'm thinking of, um, from the, the he Hebrews in the Christian scripture, mm -hmm. there's a famous, uh, quote in uh, chapter 11. It goes that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, that's the definition of faith. But to me, it's walking side by side with hope, you know, and, and this calls it uh, assurance of things hoped for. It's this general positive outlook, even though I don't know what's going to happen. I can't see what's coming. 
I trust that it's going to be uh, something good, that my best days truly are ahead of me. Yes. Um, I'm sorry. I'm actually looking this up because I love the Emily Dickinson poem and I don't want to get it wrong. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. I just love that because I believe that hope does perch within the soul. Um, and this, you know, this, these, these little sayings that we have that we love to talk about on this show, you know, don't quit before the miracle. That's exactly what you're saying is, and the miracle, but the miracle keeps changing. So that statement, don't quit before the miracle is, um, is true throughout your recovery journey, your whole rest of your life, because it's not like there's one miracle and then you're done. You know, the miracle keeps getting better and bigger you know, first the miracles just staying clean or sober or whatever it is, abstaining from the addiction. Then the miracle is that you start to feel better. Then the miracle is that you start to grow spiritually. Then the miracle is that you find a new joy in life. And and the miracles just keep coming and coming. And I think you're really right. That happens because we've made that commitment to a spiritual path. And once you're, that's the nature of a spiritual path. Once you're on a spiritual path and you're committed to it, um, it's inevitable that things will just get better and better and the miracles will just keep coming. That's sort of the reward, so to speak. I mean, we don't do it for that. Well, we do it because we want to, we, we do want our life to get better and we want to be happy, but I don't know about you, but I could never have even begun to dream up the miracles and things that have happened in my life in sobriety. Like I just, the things that have happened to me have just been so incredibly amazing like I'm just thinking of my son I never could have dreamed up my son in my wildest imagination he's just beyond the beyond the beyond I could never have imagined ultimately you know at in my late 40s you know getting a call to ministry I mean these things are miracles that I never imagined and they are the absolute result of staying the course staying on that path that commitment that we're talking about today so that's really what commitment is, is staying the course, you know, and it's not that we don't ever fall off the wagon or get distracted or have, you know, moments of um, backsliding or whatever, but there's, it's, it's a long-term commitment. It's the long haul. It's knowing, and you know, we don't know this when we first get sober and it's probably good. We don't know because <laughs> we, we don't need to know it all at the beginning. I'm sort of giving the, the ending away for other folks that maybe haven't figured that out yet, but spoiler alert, you know, this is a lifelong journey if you want it to be. I mean, you, you don't have to, but if you want it to be, it is a lifelong journey and that commitment will just keep carrying you through and the miracles will just keep coming. I love that perspective. You know, I don't think I'd ever heard it quite expressed like that, that the miracle changes, but the principle don't quit before the miracle perseveres. And I agree. That's absolutely yeah. what my experience has been as well. And, and for me, you know, what I thought that meant, and it did mean this at first, the first miracle was I no longer craved alcohol. Right, mm -hmm. that physical, emotional craving that is so maddening uh, left at some point, you know, fairly early on. I don't remember when, months, you know, in sometime in the first year. Um, but yeah, the miracles keep coming. And, and we're talking about hope, commitment, and focus. And it occurred to me that one way, because I was thinking about like, how do, I, how do I express focus, right? What is, what's going on with that? But if I can focus on 
a, a, an affirmation or a statement of truth, we might call it. Don't quit before the miracle. It's kind of like a guiding statement. It's not so much an affirmation as a guide. So I can be fully committed, but not focused, right? I need to be committed and focused, and focused. in my recovery. And what I can focus, there are many things that I can focus on, hopefully all recovery related. I can focus on being at my home group meeting when I've committed to being there, you know, simple things like that. Right. And I can focus on the promise that is expressed in that phrase, don't quit before the miracle, or really any of the promises um, that we find in the big book. So I love that. And the first miracle was that the craving left, but there's, there's always another layer. That's yep. the gift of it. You know, I've, sometimes I've looked at that, the fact that this path seems like it's this endless spiral path up a mountain. And I'm like, can I be on top of the mountain already? You know, yeah. I've been walking and walking. I'm sick of this. And then I realized that that's not the point at all no. mm -hmm. is to be up at the top. It's to um, walk the journey and you, that yeah. each step of the way brings its own set of challenges and gifts. But if I'm willing to keep walking, um, like you said, the miracles keep coming. It's just a different miracle each time. Yeah, you know why the top can't be the the goal? Because as soon as you get to what you thought was the top, there's yet another peak. I mean, that's just been my personal experience is that life is so much more expansive and rich than I ever Im imagined. And what I would have aimed for, you know, back then would have been so much lower than what I'm capable of or, or what my life is capable of becoming. So thank God that the journey didn't end with what I thought was the top, you know, because it was only the beginning. And, and you know, when you're saying focus, I, I, I was thinking about, you know, the program works to the extent that we work it, right? So the extent that we focus and keep our, uh, keep our eye, what is it? Help me with the Bible verse, the single singleness of what am I trying to say? I don't remember the phrase, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Keep the eye. Oh, gosh, I can't. I don't know. I can't get I can't come with it. But I'm I'm thinking of that. Um, the primary purpose that we speak of in 12 yes. step, our primary purpose. What is our yes. primary purpose? So a group has a primary purpose. The 12 steps as a whole, the program has a primary purpose. But I have a primary purpose in my life. And what is my primary purpose? My primary purpose is to continue growing spiritually and to get better and better and to live happy, joyous, and free. So that's my focus. So it's kind of like we talk about in ministry, you know, having a mission and everything is in service to the mission. If my primary purpose is that, then everything I do in my life should be in service to that. Yes. And that's my focus. And, and let's hold that thought because it is time for a short break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation. Please stay with us. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. 
Welcome back indeed. We are glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett here with our co-host, Reverend Michelle Jellinch. We'll resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there and let us know what's on your mind. So prior to the break, we were discussing first the uh, complacency that characterized some of our uh, maybe early recovery or our time in active addiction, that complacency. And then we moved into discussing hope, commitment, and focus and looking at them as spiritual concepts. So Dan, now that we have discussed complacency and we know that the solution or the antidote to complacency is those spiritual concepts of hope and commitment and focus, how do we use those spiritual concepts to lead us to a new life? Well, I remember a time fairly early in recovery that I really hit a wall. I had a really hard time. And I was looking at these principles, hope, commitment, and focus, and thinking about, well, how were they in play uh, during this time? And I, I know that they all were. And as I look back on this experience, and I'll share what happened, as I look back on this experience, what stands out for me most of all is hope. It, it's, it's almost, it's not like I was feeling that hopeful at the time, but having walked through this experience really underscored that there, there is hope and things, my best days are ahead of me, no matter what is going on. Well, what happened to me was, um, you know, I had gotten sober. I did uh, 90 meetings in 90 days. You know, I had a home group that I went to every day. It was near where I worked. It was a, a noon, a noon meeting. And I went there every weekday and then there were a couple others that I could go to on weekends. Uh had a sponsor working the steps and all of that. And you know, everything seemed to be going fine, right? As far as I could tell. Well something happened right at five months in. And I remember that because I got sober in early July and this was uh you know around Christmas time or leading up to it. So whatever, whatever, July to December, what is that, five or six months, I'm not sure. But I hit this wall of um, anger and uh, disenchantment and just this massive wave of upset. I don't even know quite where it came from. Well, I do know where it came from. It was buried inside me. And the work that I had done had allowed it to come to the surface. But I'm telling you, I've, I have never... Since then, in all the years that I've been sober, I have never had as hard a time, not even close, as I did five months in. I mm-hmm. feel like it was a real, um, like it was a real test of my commitment, in a way. It's like yes. I, you know, I was walking the path. I want to live a sober life. I want to be done with this. And it's almost as if the universe said, "Are you sure?" how about try this on for size? Are you still sure? Are you willing to feel this miserable? Are you still sure that you want to walk this path? And I did, and I made it through. It's just a, I was so angry about it too. I was so angry that I, that I could not find an excuse to drink Mm -hmm. just given the circumstances, everything between, um, 
you know, between like, I don't want to, I have this home group and I would have to quit going there or admit to them what was going on. So it's getting my ego involved. And I had a relative that had been sober for a long time who was going to come visit at Christmas and then they would know. Yeah. It was just like the, the, the price was too high yeah. and I was so mad about that. I was so yeah. angry that yeah. the price was just too high, but what a gift, right? So the hope the the uh, knowing that my best days are ahead of me or or the assurance of things hoped for that description of faith uh, that's what i remember most about that time because even though that happened and even though it, nothing i have not been in such a bad spa- space since then you know related directly to the desire to drink that um i know that no matter what is going on things are going to continue to get better right uh, expect a miracle. Yeah. Don't quit before the miracle. Oh, I just thought of a new one. I wonder what the next miracle's going to be. Yes. And I'm excited to find out what could it be. So anyway, my experience of uh, really hitting a wall uh, five months in, I will never forget that time. And that I feel like is a way that our three principles of hope, commitment, and focus kind of without even me knowing it. It's not like I'm sitting there being the master of spiritual principles. I was sitting there being an angry mess, right? I was master of nothing except (laughs) right? But yet these things are still working, were still working in me, even if I didn't know them or could name them. And that right there gives me hope. Even if I don't know what's going on, it's still working. Yeah. Well, As I mentioned, um, alcohol was not my only issue that I struggled with. And, you know, I was just thinking uh, that a lot of folks who listen to us, you know, we talk a lot about sobriety from alcohol. But, of course, the topics that we uh, discuss on this show are relevant to any type of addiction recovery. And I can only assume that we have folks listening to us that come from other 12-step programs Um, The Al-Anon folks, the Gamblers Anonymous folks, the uh, codependency folks, you know, um, hopefully we have folks from many different types of programs that tune in. And it was a little bit disillusioning to me to find out in my first year of sobriety that uh, removing alcohol did not magically fix the chaoticness of my relationships. That was... uh, quite a slap in the face to me. Um, It turns out that my relationship issues and addictive behavior around that stuff was really my primary addiction. And the alcohol was certainly not helping and definitely played a huge role in it, but was probably not the primary thing because once the alcohol was gone, my life didn't magically get fixed. And, you know, they tell us in early recovery not to get in a relationship in your first year and to focus on yourself. So, I got engaged at six months sober, <laughs> like you do, with another 12-step member. Did all the things you're not supposed to do. You know, I love the joke. I always uh, look for any opportunity to trot this one out, that, you know, alcoholics are on a first date because they have a U-Haul. <laughs> so that was me. And um, that situation blew up just before my first year anniversary and um, sobriety anniversary. And yeah, it was bad. I'm not going to lie. It was bad. I don't recommend it, folks. If you're in early recovery, I don't recommend you do what I did because 
I don't know how I stayed sober through all that. It was a very messy blow up and um, just not a good thing, but it was what needed to happen to me. It brought me to yet another bottom in recovery. And I could not ignore the fact that, um, you know, that my, I don't know whether to call it addiction or not, but it's not really important, but my relationship issues were definitely uh, still alive and well, and that removing the alcohol had not fixed that and that I had a lot more work to do. So that was a bit sobering, no pun intended. Um, and like I say, it meant that I had a lot more work to do and that I had to visit some of the other rooms besides just the AA rooms. And um, that was that was tough for me. You know, the first three years of recovery were really tough for me. I had a lot of stuff I had to sort out. Um, and so that commitment to my recovery, because I don't want to just say to my sobriety, because it was all of it, you know, the emotional recovery of various addictive behaviors, um, it really required a lot of commitment to hang in there at that point. It certainly would have been a lot easier to just go back to drinking and doing things the way I had done them before. It would have been a lot less, well, I want to say less painful, ultimately probably not, but I had to go through some painful stuff. I had to do some really hard work. I had to seek outside help. I had to do a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, and so thank God that I had that commitment on board. And again, going back to the, you know, the bottom that I kept hitting, I kept hitting various emotional bottoms. That was what gave me that commitment and that focus was, I just was in too much emotional pain to do anything else, but keep trudging forward. And eventually things did get better, much, much better, but uh, it was not easy for me in early recovery, but I was very young too. I was very young, so. Yeah, that's a really good example of the uh, an expression of commitment that it takes to do this kind of work. And you're right. I mean, our show is called Spirit of Recovery, not Spirit of Alcoholism. Right. Recovery. And although any one of us, and this is not just Reverend Michelle and I, but any of us in recovery, we can only really do one thing, which is speak from our own experience. Okay. And so although it's true that there are 12-step uh, programs available for many things. I only know the one that I've walked, so I can only speak um, uh, based on my own experience and stay in integrity. But I do know, as you shared, I do know that um, we all have a common bond. You know, whether it was a different substance or whether it was a behavior instead of a substance or right. an emotional thing instead of a substance or whatever, um, the path is um, substantially similar, and I know that just from talking to others. Yes. But uh, so I'm glad that you're sharing about your um, experience broadly, because yeah. even though mine, uh, for the most part, is limited to my recovery from alcoholism, um, there's a whole lot of other stuff always going on. I even remember um, when I was uh, being in rehab, being given materials on other things like you might want to take a look at this and sometimes <laughs> you know people who are in recovery for alcohol also have issues with this list of things <laughs> so you might want to go through this list and see if any of these stand out to you so thank you for pointing that out it's absolutely true now one thing uh i'm gonna i'm gonna get bibly here for a second sure. i guess i'm gonna continue to be bibly because i was bibly <laughs> with refer referring to hebrews but when I think about commitment, this 
this verse leapt into my head, and and so uh, I had to bring it out. It's it's Luke uh, in chapter nine, verse sixty-two, and everyone's like, "Oh, right, of course, that one." <laughs> and what it says there, and this is Jesus speaking: No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That is a very bold statement that says to me, "You must commit." to this path or it ain't going to work. Yep. You can't put your hand to the plow and then look back because you're not committed if you're looking back. Now, I also know that just like the um, you know, spiritual GPS that we all kind of have built into us, even if I did, you know, metaphorically uh, put my hand to the plow and look back, that's okay. I can put my hand to the plow again and hopefully the next time I won't look back. But at some point, you know, in order for my recovery to be successful, I had to commit fully and to do what that verse is pointing at. Again, with the, you know, it's the image from agriculture, because that's yeah, what was that's uh, what that present is. in the time and the place uh, when Jesus was preaching and teaching. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. I've got to be committed. And I found that absolutely to be true. And I can say that my commitment has not wavered in a large sense. Um, you know, I haven't gone back out. Uh, many of us do. I have happened not to have. Um, and I am fully committed to my recovery path, uh, you know, to the point where I always remember when I first heard that our recovery is contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Yes. And being an alcoholic who goes all in on anything, whether I'm eating chocolate or reading the Bible, I'm all in. And so I went all in on the maintenance of my spiritual condition to the point where I felt called to be a teacher yeah. of spirituality. And that, of course, is for me the the best way I could think of to um, to really live this message yeah. is to become a teacher of it. Now, every, not everyone has to. That's yeah. absolutely not the case. The, but that's uh, that was my particular calling. But I love that verse about commitment, and it really uh, helps underscore for me how important it has been in my life. And I'm grateful that I've been able to find and maintain a commitment to sobriety, you know, through all of the ups and downs of life. Yes. So again, spoiler alert, you know, we think when we get clean or sober from a substance that that is mainly what our purpose is, is to get and stay clean or sober from that substance. But what it turns out is that um, for many of us, I mean, maybe some people that's all they have and one and done and God bless them. That was not my path. For me, it was like opening Pandora's box, you know, <laughs> like, like you said, you know, check out this list of other assorted and sundry addictions that you may <laughs> or may not have, you know, and so that commitment to the path meant that I had to deal with whatever things came up after just removing the primary substance. I had to then be willing to look at all of those other behaviors and issues, whether we want to call them addictions or not. You know, I don't think it matters that much. There's uh, orthodox folks that care about that stuff. I don't. If you want to call it an addiction or call it a compulsion, all I know is that the 12 steps helped me work on those issues too. So it doesn't really matter to me. I did go to other types of meetings and they helped me tremendously. 
Um, so that that commitment really meant that. You know, I, I, OK, here's what I was going to say. I was going to say that it's sort of like I work out a lot, so I like these workout metaphors. You know, they always say you get out of it what you put into it. And I was going to say that sobriety is kind of the same way. It's it's like your willingness, whatever, as far as you are willing to go is as good as you're going to get. If you're willing to look at all these other things and really do the work, then life is going to get better and better. But then I started correcting that and thinking, you know, maybe it wasn't really an option because if I hadn't started to change some of those other behaviors, I probably wouldn't have stayed sober. So I think what you're saying and, you know, leave it to Jesus. He had it right in the first place that mm -hmm. you've got to be all in if you really want to stay sober, whatever sober means to you. You know, it meant for me that I had to look at a lot of other types of behaviors that if I didn't work on and change those two probably would have taken me back out again. So it really is sort of that commitment and focus. It's an all in. You you, you got to be all in if you want the miracles, if you want to live right. happy, joyous and free, if you want life to get better and better and better. The extent to which we're willing to face our own shadow and um, work the 12 steps around it um, is the extent to which we get to live happy, joyous, and free. And I, I jotted down what you said, really do the work. Yeah. And that I have found it absolutely that to be the core of it. I have to be willing to really do the work, like really do it, not yep. give lip service to it, not pretend to do it, not make it so other people think I'm doing it. Right. I have to really actually do the work. And yep. when I do, up come the gifts, or as we're saying, the miracles. The miracles you know, the promises. Of, and... of the program, yeah. yeah. So I, I had a, a important part of my um spiritual growth and recovery has been the practice of fire walking, right? Mm -hmm. So fire walking is the practice of walking barefoot on red hot coals, right? And yeah. not burning your feet, you know, like grandma used to do. Yeah, of course. I could do that. Anybody could do that. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I encountered this practice as, as part of some workshops that uh, the Unity Prosperity teacher Edwin Gaines used to put on, and I spent a lot of time with her. Uh, over the years and firewalking became really important because it really revolution. It was a, like a revelation or revolution. I don't know what it was. It was an amazing <laughs> spiritual experience of yeah. freedom. Yeah. And then the kind of energy and power that gets released, you know, when we really step into or, or have an experience um, that really um, brings us a lot of freedom. And for to do that, you need both uh, commitment and focus. I mean, hope, I suppose. I hope I don't burn my feet. I didn't spend a lot of time <laughs> with that thought. But you've got to be fully committed to it. Like yeah. when, when, when you walk up to that um, to the bed of coals that's been raked out. So how it works is you build a fire. The fire burns down. You do a workshop, uh, all kinds of um, you know spiritual growth activities. And then when the fire is ready, when it's burned down to coals, uh, the fire tenders rake out the coals into a rectangle, and that's what you're going to walk on. And so in order to walk on it, you have to walk up to it, right, with no shoes on to begin. And then you have to do what we always call take the first step. Yeah. And you don't take the first step and then stop, no. right? You have to be committed. You keep going. 
you yeah. you know you I've heard it described my my firewalking instructor Tolly Birkin said you walk with the intention of getting on to the other side. <laughs> you don't stop in the middle and say, "What did she say to do next after I took That's the your first piece step?" Sizzle. No, man, you have to be committed <laughs> in yeah. order to do this, and you have to really be focused. Believe me, you do not want to firewalk while your mind is off thinking about the bills. And trust me. I don't even see how that could be possible. Yeah. That's one of the gifts of it is it, it inherently brings focus. I, there's no way I could sit there thinking about, did I pay the electric bill or not when I'm about to walk barefoot on red hot coals? And so these are the kind of, this is an example and not everyone needs to do this, but we all, I think, have experiences that really sort of shake us up, show us what's possible right? It might be a quiet, prayerful kind of experience or a, a, a moment of white light, like we say, where I just, I can't describe it, but it just all made sense for a moment. And that gave me hope to move forward. But I had to do some things to really um, sort of shake up the pieces of my life so that they could uh, fall back in a different order. Wow, that's such an amazing thing that you did. And thank you for sharing that. Isn't it just, you know, we can just tell some crazy stories. <laughs> Our lives are just so interesting. You know, I guess we're we're about running out of time in this segment, but that gives me just enough time to share something that we say a lot in my church, and I'm not exactly sure who to credit this with. It's probably some unity folks, but we always say the good is now, the rest is blessed, and the best is yet to be. We say that every Sunday. And um, thank God I found unity early on in recovery because the two things dovetailed very perfectly for me. And unity really shaped my worldview that, that, gosh, how to put it into 15 seconds. Well, basically what I said, that the good is now. This is the good. And the rest is blessed. And the best is yet to come. All of those things are true. And thank God for that. That's what keeps me going. Yeah, I love that. That's a wonderful expression, and I, I agree that those are truths. Well, let's uh, pause for a minute. You know, we've said a whole lot about this topic, as you may have noticed if you're listening. And so let's see if we can step way back and find a simple way to sum all this up. And so I'll let you do that. Reverend Michelle, in a nutshell... If someone were to ask, how can I shake up my complacency and get serious about my recovery journey? In a nutshell, what would you say? Oh, my goodness. Well, I would say that either you can get serious about your recovery journey or you can wait until your recovery journey gets serious about you. <laughs> Basically, you know, if you wait long enough, the spiritual two by four will come along and you will get knocked to your knees and then you will have a, a moment of choice, you know, where you can either continue on on this path or not. Um, that's the way it's been for me. Life continues to bring me uh, to my knees at various points, and I get to make the decision whether I'm going to continue on this path, and the path for me being a spiritual path, whether I am indeed committed and focused to that path. But if you don't want to wait for the spiritual two-by-four to come along, you could just decide now that, you know, like I said, what you put into it is what you get out of it. The degree to which you want to live happy, joyous, and free is the degree to which you will delve in and work the program. And it it always delivers. That's just the truth. As hard as you work it is what you're going to get out of it. 
My answer in a word is commitment. I think of all the things that we've talked about that might be the most important one for me. You know, somewhere, someone early on made the statement that there are only three outcomes for me as an alcoholic. I'm going to get sober, I'm going to be dead, or I'm going to be in jail. Yeah. And the rest of it is just waiting and to figure out which one of those three things happens. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'll get sober. Yeah. That helped me commit and what commitment means. And this, I know this is nothing new, but 90 meetings in 90 days, get a home yep. group, get a sponsor and work the steps. I have never yep. heard more wisdom, more compactly than that. I, that is what I did. And that worked for me. And go to same-sex meetings and don't get engaged your first year. (laughs) There we go. That's my little tidbit. Oh, good stuff. Well, as always, we like to end with an affirmation to reinforce the concepts we've been talking about today. So here goes our affirmation for today. I fully commit in faith to my recovery journey, and I know my best days are ahead of me. I love that one. I fully commit in faith to my recovery journey, and I know my best days are ahead of me. What a wonderful statement of commitment and hope, and hopefully there's focus. I found it somewhere in there. Yes. Well, it has happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we're grateful. We like to think of it as a gift. Uh, If it's not, I guess you could let us know. Don't burst the bubble. We have too much fun doing this. And we we hope you found something in all of our carrying on that'll be genuinely helpful to you in your own recovery. Thank you, Reverend Michelle, for our discussion as always. And thank you to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. Listeners, if you'd like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And don't drink like my co-host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.